Don't give us money. (laughs) I've said this before, and I'll stand by my quote. If pro is the opposite of con, then is Congress the opposite of progress? And I think there is some wisdom there. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the ball up with our English dead. Good morning again, or again, for the first time this morning. Good morning Mm. from the personal wealth coach. This is us. This is Jake McClure. With me, I have... Jeff McClure, I think. Well, most most of the time, that's who you are. Right. I'm not sure I'm with myself. I could be beside myself. Yeah, I've been beside myself all day. It's very confusing. Right, right. Uh, we, We are the personal wealth coach. I know that sounds weird because the personal wealth coach is singular, but our radio program is the is the coach. The proper pronoun for us is the modern one. They. They. That's right. Yes. We have chosen Ooh. our pronoun. We're cool. It's it's something that royalty used to do as well. Mm-hmm. I right. think choosing pronouns is quite important. It's the royal we. Right. So we uh, that is the personal wealth coach um, have some disclosures. We're going to be talking to you about. Finance, economics, uh, personal finance, what's happening in the economy at the large scale, what we should expect, um, what we shouldn't expect, um, what no one would even think of expecting, like flying llamas. We, there, we've talked about that now. Um, would you like to start with the first disclosure so that people know that we're telling the truth, we're going to tell you not to trust anything? Right. Very good disclosure. Okay, that's really all we need to say. Right. Okay. (laughs) This is the personal wealth coach, but it is also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm located, headquartered, and domiciled in Salado, Texas. Now, the fact that we're registered with the SEC doesn't mean the SEC has approved us or disapproved us or anything else. That just tells you that we are registered with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, which I think is important. Yes, there are regulators. That's the first disclosure. Yes. Right, they are our regulators. If you want to complain, that's who to complain to. No, he just said ah. that we're registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission to give fiduciary investment advice, but we can't do that on the radio. We can't? Nope, because that right. would cancel it being fiduciary immediately through lack of privacy and not knowing oh, no. everybody that's oh, listening, no. all that good stuff. So what we're providing on the air here is education. Hopefully, we're going to give you some tools that you can use to make decisions better rather than giving you advice on the specific decision. What we're going to say consistently everywhere we can is if you need specific advice, you should get it. Don't get it from the radio. Specific advice is specific, Mm. not general. Right. Right. In this case, specific outranks generals. So what we're doing is education, not investment advice. And that educational information has been obtained from sources, and this is my favorite part of the disclosure, sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. Yes. Correct. That's um, cool. Let's see. I always wanted to say that. The last disclosure is that we do not pay for this radio program, nor are we paid to do the radio program. Town Square Media funds advertisements for this radio program, and so do we, on our own dollar. So we look at this as a give back. We do get some benefit from it. Our clients like to listen to it, and we have occasionally, once in a blue moon, gotten some clients from it. Now, 
why we say it's occasional and once in a blue moon, it's because most people don't make their decision about where they invest millions of dollars based on radio programs. At least the ones that listen to our radio program don't. I would like to do some research on that because that may be a misleading statement. Which, which did it? First off, we have to determine how often the blue moon occurs, which oh, is true. about once every two to three years. Uh, uh, well, I blue think, moon is just the second full moon in a month. Right. And I think it's once every two to three years it occurs. It and we'd have to go back. And, it's like once a year. Yeah. We'd have to go back and, and research to see if we, in fact, get a new client off of this radio program, from this radio program, as frequency as blue moon. I don't think we get them that frequently. I don't think so program. either. I don't think so either. We tend to get uh, clients from word of mouth and we're not actively advertising. So it's mostly just friends of our clients that come in. We could say 0.25% if we did the research as frequently as blue moon. Ah, could be. Or I could say a statistic. Uh, did you know that 97.86% of statistics are made up on the spot? Just like mm. that, that one was? Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Makes good sense. Right. And do you know that Benjamin Disraeli, you do know, mm -hmm. famously said, there are three kinds of lies in order of severity. Se severity. severity. Yeah. Yes, severity. Lies, damned lies, which is, by the way, a lie that will send you to hell. Yes. And statistics. So it's worse than going to hell. It's bad stuff. Right. Yeah. But we're gonna and we're gonna talk about it all day, so it'll be fine. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the market then. Let's do it. Let's jump right in. Wait, I don't have a towel. Go ahead. We choose to measure the stock market using the S and P five hundred stock index, which I should disclose is not a particularly accurate measure of the stock market. I'm not sure what is, particularly since it's very heavily weighted towards large cap, large cap large capitalization growth companies right now. It always is in bull markets, but it is. It, uh, over the last five weeks, is up 7.81%, which is a lot in five weeks. As a matter of fact, interestingly enough, in the history of presidents and the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average, in the first year of a presidency, this is the greatest run-up in the stock market in terms of percentages that we've seen. Right. Does that so have anything to do... This is a good thing. Does it have anything to do with this president or prior president's performances? Probably no. not. It, that's no, but that's the point we like to make, is that presidents rarely have as much to do with the markets as people th think they do. Yeah, but it's a statistic, and it's cool. Anyway, so this week it pulled back a little bit, uh, and it's interesting. The pullback was an interesting one. It, the the S&P 500 dropped 0.31% for the week. The market dropped a little. By the way, there's a couple of really good reasons the market dropped, other than the obvious reason, uh, which I'll hit in just a second. When the Dow Jones Industrial Average hits a round figure high, in this case, last week, it popped up above 36,000 for the first time in, in, on a close. Almost without exception, the following week, the market will be down. Of course. Because somebody said, I'm going to hang in the market until the Dow hits 36,000 and then I'm pulling out. And yeah, they did. Yeah. And usually, what you know, this, this ha is so regular that, that we see it and kind of expect it. When you break a record, just expect the next week a big record, uh, like a round number record. Right. We've broken a lot of records this year, but they're not ones that make a headline. Right. I when you try make to a, keep my records carefully. Yeah. It, it, if, if you break records, I mean, it's got yeah, to clean hard to up replace. the mess. It's, it's especially yeah. the vinyl ones. Anyway. So anyway, the S&P 500 was down 0.31% for the week, closing at 4682.85 for those of you who are nerdy out there and you keep that number. 
the proximate cause, and I like proximate, um, the, of the dip was, according to the pundits and the news media, was that the Labor Department announced that inflation measured from one year ago was the highest it's been in 30, in 30 years. A, actually 31 years. Uh, well, but the stock market drop was 0.31%, which is next to no, that, that's just a statistical error. That's it. Basically, the stock market said so and kept on going. Then, by the way, while we're at it, the Standard Poor's 500 stock index is up 24.67% year to date, 30.62% from a year ago, and 109.3% from its low point in March of 2020. Now, those of you, again, who are investors and who remember March of 2020, try to remember back to how you felt in March of 2020. And it was, for many of you, I know, because I spoke to some, a strong inclination to bail out of the market. It was scary back then, if you recall. <laughs> and we said, no, the market's going to go up. And it did. So we're cool. And it's cool. Now, uh, the CRSP mid-cap value index, which we also follow because it's kind of the opposite end of the S&P 500. The S&P 500 is driven by really big companies that are priced according to what people think their earnings will be 20,000 years from now or something like that, at least with Tesla. Right. Um, the the mid-cap value, a mid-cap is the smallest companies that wind up in the S&P 500. Value stocks are those, at least theoretically, this is just a theory, but and this is the perception, where the stock is worth less than the company. And those of us value investors like we are, believe that it's really smart to buy stocks when the company's worth more than the stocks because eventually that means the stock will probably go up. But we do this in a very broad way, so don't try this at home. Anyway, it was up 0.53 for the week while the S&P 500 was down. It closed at 2589.78 and it's up 26.31% so far this year. So in the 2021 race to the finish, the mid-cap value uh, index is ahead of the S&P 500. Yay. Anyway, the yield on the U.S. Treasury 10-year note, which is the other, another thing we follow pretty carefully, it popped up. We're at about 8.8.25% roughly. It's now at 1.572%. And it, to put this in reference, it's below the 1.6% it hit about a month ago. It is below the 1.7% it hit in the spring. And it's way lower than the 3% it was at three years ago when inflation was running 1%, a little over 1%. The reason I bring that up, and I think it's important, is the big news this week is about inflation and the reported 6.2% rise from last year in inflation. And a lot of people, at least in print and on the news media, are running around terrified the world's going to come to an end or something. But the stock, neither the stock market nor the bond market, responded as though anything significant had happened. They just basically kept on plugging along. Last but not least, West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil was down. It declined about half a percent to $80.87 per barrel. Uh, that was credited to OPEC announcing that it expected oil demand to wane, to caper off in the face of high prices. And that's the market. All that's right. Well done. Oh. Thank you. Don't give I've us said this. <laughs> I've said this before, and I'll stand by my quote. If pro is the opposite of con, then is Congress the opposite of progress? And I think 
there is some wisdom there. So let's move on to what's going on in the economic news this week. Cool. The big news this week, and we, I've already touched on that a little bit, and I'm sure we can have a long discussion about it, is the fact that the Department of Labor, actually the Bureau of Labor, Bureau of Labor. BLS Statistics? Bureau, oh, yes, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which is where the bureaucrats from the Labor Department all hide out. I think said, it's where the bureaucratic statistics hang out because it's not the Bureau of Statisticians. It's the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So that's where the stats all hang out. It's amazing. What we got was a report from them. And the report from them said that the consumer price index has risen 6.2% since this time last year. And by just about any standard that you want to come up with, that's a lot. Yeah. And that's the highest it's been since, I think, 19, 1990 and the, or 91. Right. The pr producer's price index, two months in a row, have been at 8.6%. Now, that's usually right. a more volatile number, but that's two months in a row of prices being way up. So there's an instant fear scattered across the land. As journalists, broadcasters, and other persons who have to talk for a living suddenly became terrified, at least they said they were terrified, that we're about to see runaway inflation and we're returning to the 1970s when America was great. Wait, and no. uh, that was after or before one of the two. Well, depending on who you pull on that. Right. Anyway, uh, back when we thought we were great. Yes. So the, the issue is that um, it's there. It's definitely the numbers are there. Uh, the average price, according to the consumer price index of the stuff we buy as consumers, is indeed up 6.2% from a year ago. However, and we point this out in the newsletter, and I think, but it's important to say it multiple times, multiple times, multiple times. Oh, I'm stuck. Anyway, let's see what's driving this runaway inflation, this phenomenal inflation. For starters, motor fuel in the last year, the stuff you put in your tank to burn to make your car go forward or your truck go forward and things of that nature. And backwards. You can go backwards with right. it as well. Yeah. Is up 50%, 49.6% to be exact. It's up 3.7% in the last month. Wow. That's a lot. Used cars and trucks up 26.4%. Private transportation in general up 20%. Energy in general up about 10 or 11%, depending on which energy you're looking at. 12.7% for household gas that's piped in. Look at the numbers. Those are the ones that are driving this thing higher. Uh, and, and they have a tremendous weight in what's going on out there. The other one is meats, meat, poultry, fish, and eggs. So those are the things that are driving this high inflation. Now, here's the point where I think we can say with some degree of confidence, we can look at the future and say, I don't think this is going to continue. If used cars continue to appreciate it 26% a year, and the thing is, go out and buy a bunch of used cars and hold on to them for 10 years and you'll be phenomenally wealthy. Uh, this is this is a point. Do you mind if I butt in no. for just a second? It's, it's, it's a good thing. General Motors, Ford, Tesla, uh, Chrysler, Fiat. Uh, you can go down the list of not just each company, but each major section of the companies. Not all of them, but a large percentage of them have, over the last month or so, said that they're beyond the worst part of the chip shortage. Now, how is that possible? Uh, let me just kind of fill in the blanks here. This chip shortage is why the cars have been so valuable, partly. 
And the chip shortage happened because there was a low demand last year. So people that were making chips said, hey, cars are not using as many chips because we're not getting orders. So we need to sell these chips to someone else. And so they found other customers. Well, then the car demand came back and they said, we need those chips now. And the manufacturers of the chips said, well, we're already making as many chips as we can and we don't really have room on the line to make more. So it's going to have some delay. It's going to take us a while to get it there. And what's more, the people that get it to the port and then on the ship and then from the ship to the other port and all, all of that's backed up too. So how is it we're beyond the, the worst part of that? There's other little pieces of the puzzle. Chip manufacturers are not concentrating on the chips that are required for the 2021 car manufacturing cycle. In fact, that is extremely low priority. They have, they're, they're, they're ramping back on making those chips, not ramping forward. They were ramping forward all the way up through uh, the mid part of this year, and now they're ramping way back. What's going on there? Will next year's cars have more complex chips? Mm-hmm. And it's November. Right now is when we were making next year's cars. And those new chips needed new equipment to make the new chip. And they've been investing in that new equipment for the last year so that the equipment is there to make the chips for the cars. And some of those facilities have on-site manufacturing and other places have it still hired out to other people. But this means that our shortage of cars is likely to come to an end probably in the middle part of 2022. I have been monitoring the chip shortage very carefully. I've gone to the grocery store on a regular basis and have carefully noted that for a while there, there just weren't any chips. I mean, there was a critical shortage. The shelves were partially empty. Ooh, they were they've started chips. to fill up. They've started up to fill up with chips again. So I think the chip shortage is drawing to that's, an end. That's um, probably it. You're right. And uh, anyway, the point here is people are suddenly terrified of inflation. And it, by the way, caused the key, the consumer confidence level monitored by the University of Michigan to drop to the lowest it's been since 2016, which isn't too bad. The reason the market kind of ignored that inflation thing that's causing all of the pundits to pundate all over themselves is because you look at the things, everything that is driving this current surge of inflation, and you realize, no, gasoline is not going to go up another 50% in the next year. Why Why can I say that with certainty? Because if gasoline went up another 50% in the next year, everybody and their cousin would be drilling holes in the ground in West Texas to create more oil, to create more gasoline, and that will work. And besides that, we have this wonderful supply and demand thing that works. In the short term, it doesn't seem to work, but it works, which is OPEC announced that they expect demand for oil to drop in the near future. Why? It's more expensive. I mean, when you fill up your gas tank and you have to take a second mortgage on your house, at that point you decide, I'm not going to fill up my gas tank quite as frequently as it is. So I'm going to drive less, which means demand starts to fall off. And that's what's going to happen. Matter of fact, I think oil is probably pretty much as high as it's likely to get over the long term. Right. And the rig count is going up in the oil patch, which is something it's taken kind of, at first it started up really fast and then slowed way down. Uh, And and what is rig count? This is the number of new dig sites that are going on. Uh, When that number goes up, there's more drilling. And when it goes down, there's less drilling. So we can watch that. And what we saw is that the number went up, kind of jumped up 
closer to to June as people said, oh, and then the money for it kind of petered off. What is the money for it? What does that mean? Most of the fracking as we know it, this is where the United States came back into a net exporter of oil and all of that, was funded with loans, but not loans from like a mortgage bank, loans from investment banks, from Wall Street. And then last year, when oil literally was a negative price, when you had to pay someone to come and take perfectly good oil away from you, not them pay you the other way around, Wall Street said, um, this is not pleasant, or words to that effect. There may have been some censoring of that statement. They generally use other words. In the oil patch. In the oil patch. Yeah, right. Not pleasant. So Wall Street said, hey, we're going to slow down that whole, we're just going to turn on the tap for water or, or for, for money as soon as you need it. And we're going to look at what you're trying to do and try to make sure that the money is actually being spent in a way that we can have a long-term return. So the rig count has been climbing much slower than it did a few years ago when fracking was really taking off. There's another thing is that a lot of the people that were involved in that first big boom on the oil patch out there working and being really happy for the pay they were getting now are working somewhere else because they got laid off or fired and they didn't actually want to stay that way. So they found another job. I know it's crazy. And so the oil patch is taking some time to go back. And, but if the price keeps going up, they can make offers to the people that used to work for them that are much higher than their current jobs. Now, the question is whether the person who's getting the offer made to them is willing to quit a more stable job to go get a higher income for a shorter period of time. And that's the equation that we're seeing across the entirety of the job market, not just fracking. So there, that was my, my input into oil is that you're absolutely right. I believe that if oil continues to be at this price, we're going to see a lot more drilling. We're going to see a lot more rigs, but it's going to be in a much more controlled way. One last comment. As inflation has gone up, and that the proximate cause of this was in the report on inflation, U.S. consumer sentiment hit a 10-year low, which is, I'm going to think, going to think this is weird, this is a bull market indicator. Consumers report their sentiment and promptly go and do the opposite on a very consistent basis. So the lower consumer sentiment gets, the worse th people think things will be in the future, the more likely we are to be in a bull market. Yeah. I know uh, that sounds weird and upside down, but it's true. It is. It is very true. And it's, it's kind of, it's a lagging indicator because if you've been out of work for the last three months and somebody asks, what's your sentiment today? It's not very good, but that tends to be when the recession is coming to the end and the job market is opening back up. So you feel really bad about how things have been. And you may even say, I, I expect the future to be really bad because I'm experiencing that right now, but that tends to be the end of it. I spend some time every week um, researching what's happening in China. And this is one of those things that it's not being well covered by any of the media that we have here because they don't go there. But what is... Because they can't. Because they can't. What is being covered are people that have lived there and still communicate with people that live there. The northern area of China right now is in for some really, really tough time. It's, it has already begun. They heat their houses in northern China with coal. 
there is a massive, extremely massive coal shortage in China. Uh, and, and I can't put an emphasis on that because we don't use coal anywhere near the way they do there. In northern China, it is the primary method of heating homes still is burning it in a coal furnace in the home. And they're burning secondhand clothes and dried corn husks. And it's the beginning. It's the, We're not even starting winter yet. This is, this is still fall. Uh, we're, we're still way uh, before the big cold. And there's not enough coal in China. Uh, there's not enough coal in China to keep the power on. They're having blackouts. When you say rolling blackouts, they roll for multiple days at a time across cities that have major manufacturing facilities. Uh, this two, two months in a row now, the Chinese manufacturing index has been in contraction. They're making less stuff than they were. This is a shrinking event. And a big part of it, you mentioned this about Germany. Germany is also extremely export-driven. What's happening here is multiple. Number one, COVID-19 is a big deal. And China's efforts to stop COVID-19 have to do with extremely draconian lockdowns. Not mandates of anything except you go outside and you're going to go to jail. This isn't uh, my body, my choice type stuff. Don't put whatever's in that needle in me. It's you walked out of the house, you're going to prison uh, and maybe never coming back. That's not good for business. Businesses are getting shut down and started up and shut down and started up at the same time that Xi Jinping is this last meeting by the uh, Chinese Communist Party presented some vocabulary around him that's straight out of the Mao era. Uh, he is dictator for life. He's been appointed that by, by the people, which means that he's a dictator. This is You can call it a communist thing, whatever you want. He is a feudal lord. He is the king of China, if you will, the emperor. Uh, he's the chairman. It's the new terminology, but that's what it means. And he's making decisions right now about banking and about energy on his own. It's been about... 20 months since he left the country. And that tells you where his focus is. Because there's other people that the G7 have been meeting. Well, guess what? He's the second largest economy in the world. He didn't go. Other people are going and meeting places. He's not. So the navel gazing is what's happening in China. They're going through another cultural shift similar to the size of what happened under Mao, where they're reorganizing their entire economy and getting rid of much of the technological kind of service related stuff that touched on banking and going extremely industrial. We're going to concentrate on building stuff, period. Right at the same time when the rest of the world is saying, we don't want to have China do our building anymore. So you can see the timing of that. There's, there's some, we were predicting China to have issues in about 10 years prior to the pandemic based on their demographics, the shrinking number of people in there. They're an aging population. They don't have any kind of a social system to kick in during retirement like we have Social Security. They don't have unemployment. There's a lot of things that they don't have that we would kind of consider communist. They don't have and we do. This is why when I point at China, I, I realize they still are called the Chinese Communist Party. But in many ways, we're more socialist than they are. And in other ways, they are far more socialist than we are. 
So just be aware that China's about, and still, it's, it's in the middle of a transition that is quite painful. They have the intestinal fortitude to do a lot of painful things, though. The one-child policy, man, that was, a, that was draconian at a level that just is right off the charts, the, 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 what happened there. And the people of China are okay if even something like that happened again. So their redesign of their economy, where you see Jack Ma disappear and the big uh, Chinese titan tech companies that were coming out and, and uh, looking to be similar in size to the other tech companies of the world are disappearing. They're being split apart by the government. So there are decisions being made there that, as you said, they're going exactly the opposite way of what we're doing. Uh, we're not doing it, ob- obviously, we don't do everything right, uh, and obviously they don't do everything wrong. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of giving a one-sided stuff. On average, they have a good business environment in China. Oh, I know, gasp. I just gave a compliment to China. But it's true. Their economy's been growing consistently for three decades. They're doing some good things there. People are being paid a lot more than they used to. Their quality of life has come up quite a lot. So don't hear me saying that what they're doing is wrong. It's different, extremely different, and getting more so. We are getting more different than them, and they are at the same time getting more different than us. So that was my interjection on some of the things that are happening in China right now. It's just there's some really big shortages on the energy side, really big issues with manufacturing because plants are getting shut down, and northern China is likely to have pretty tough season this this year based on lack of heat and the fact that COVID is still hanging around. You're going to get a lot of people whose immune system get knocked down from being too cold for a long period of time. It's not a good look. It's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm feeling empathy for someone who happens to be uh, a massive contender against the United States, uh, but it's kind of hard not to because they're going to have some issues. Right. We're, uh, we're running out of time for this hour. Do you want to have a wrap-up next two minutes or so and tell them sure. what they should be aware of for the coming week? The market's churning along very nicely. It dropped 0.3. The S&P 500 dropped 0.31% for the week, which is not much. The economy is humming very nicely and moving along. The supply chain issues are still slowing things up. The labor shortage issues are still slowing things up. But there's a lot of indication that sometime next year, we will be out of the woods on this stuff. Uh, we're moving in the right direction, albeit slowly, and we're very optimistic about the future. Is that a wrap-up? That's a good wrap-up. Um, as you said, this is the same th- advice that or education that we give everybody. Have your reserves well-stocked, just in case. Keep your Be well-diversified. Be well-diversified. Keep your debt levels down. Live within your means. These are pretty common sense ideas unfortunately it's hard to be common sense these days so keep your savings rate good be well diversified keep your debt levels low uh and it, that's really the path to success <laughs> invest what you can diversify it well keep your debt low and your savings high there you go savings but be invest. cash on hand yeah and inve- invest what you can yeah, if, if you would like to talk to us off the air and get specific investment advice, we provide this to people of high net worth. Um, 
And we provide the management and portfolio skills as well. Uh, if you'd like to talk to us off the air, uh, you can call our office. We have a voicemail on the weekends, real live people during the week. And the line, no, local number is? 254-947-1111. You can reach that line toll free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. Or you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. Uh, and there you can... Uh, read our newsletter, sign up for it there. There's a contact form or uh, you can email us directly at Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. You can also look up our radio programs, podcast versions of it, anywhere you would find podcasts, uh, Spotify, Google, Audible, doesn't matter. We're there. Uh, look for TPWC. And you can look at our old newsletters and figure out if we were telling the truth and if we per- forecast the prognostication correctly. Yes. So until next week, thank you very much for listening. And this has been the Personal Wealth Coach. Have a great rest of your weekend.